Welcome to Brightline Living, the official podcast of Brightline Eating, where we focus on living a life free from food obsession and filled with peace and unstoppability. Each week, Dr. Susan Pierce Thompson, New York Times bestselling author and founder of Brightline Eating, will cover topics ranging from food addiction to fascinating science and how to live a bright life. Now here's Susan with the audio version of this week's blog. Hey there, it's Susan Pierce Thompson and welcome to the weekly vlog. So this is the last vlog of 2022. It is the very tail end of the year. And I wanted to shoot this vlog on getting our whole selves on board with change in the new year, with New Year's resolutions, because I know a lot of people are gonna be setting New Year's resolutions. And there's pros and cons to that. Uh, You're probably aware that New Year's resolutions often are not successful, that people typically have abandoned them a few weeks or a few months into the year, and maybe a few days, but but usually it lasts longer than a few days. Uh, But often, you know, you've heard the, the sayings, right? That the gyms are packed in early January and then things are back to normal in February, right? So that's kind of a a yardstick for how long New Year's resolutions tend to last. On the other hand, researchers say that using a temporal benchmark like the first of the year is actually a good idea, that it does give your efforts at change some lift. Uh, It's called the fresh start effect, and it, it helps us kind of relegate our old selves to the past and open a new mental checking account, bank account, and start fresh as a new person. And that could be very helpful. It could be very helpful. So what I want to do today is talk about one of the many reasons, there are several reasons, but one of the many reasons that change is hard, that sustained change is really hard, and give you some tools for what to do about it. So I'm going to talk now about a classic old study, Ellen Langer, uh, Langer and Thompson, 1989. Not me, Thompson. I wasn't a Thompson in 1989. I was just starting high school. Um, But Ellen Langer's at Harvard University, a venerated, very uh, just phenomenal psychologist who studied um, the mind and possibility and the placebo effect and mindfulness and things like that. And she wondered why is sustained behavior change so hard? And she got curious and suspicious about whether people deep down really wanted to change or whether uh, deep down there was a part of them that resisted that change. So here's the study that Langer and Thompson did and published in 1989. They brought people into the lab and they asked them if there, there was a trait that they possessed that they had tried to change, that they wanted to change. Maybe they thought they were too perfectionistic or too gullible or too egotistical or what have you, right? A trait like that. And they said, have you tried to change? And if people said, yes, I have a trait that I've tried to change and I've tried to change it. And they asked, have you been successful at change? And if people said no, then those were their subjects people who tried to change a specific trait and had not been successful at it. And Langer and Thompson then gave them a long list of attributes or qualities and asked them to rate them positively or negatively and how positively or how negatively, like how positively do you see drive or ambition? How positively do you see 
uh, trust. How positively do you see flamboyance? How positively do you see um, uh, eloquence, etc. right? And what they found was the more positively someone perceived a related trait, the more likely they were to have failed at changing in the past. So for example, if someone said, I don't like it that I'm so gullible, I wish I weren't so gullible, but then they rate trust really high, really positively, well, maybe part of them resists, you know, the, the change because they want to be a trusting person, right? If they have tried to change their perfectionism, but they rate drive and ambition really positively, well, maybe they actually resist changing their perfectionistic tendencies because they sort of think, well, that's the way that I achieve. That's the way that I, you know, show that I'm a go-getter, right? Is by getting everything just perfect. So I, first learned about this study, oh gosh, a long time ago, a decade or two ago, uh, when I was teaching positive psychology. And it was a revelation to me because I had been trying to change um, my egotism, um, egoism, <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, I'd been trying to be more humble and I was failing at it. I was failing at being humble. I was working the 12 steps over and over again. And in the middle of the 12 steps, you work step six and seven, which is you ask God to remove your defects of character. And I was asking God to remove my big ego and trying and asking God to please make me more humble. And it just felt like I was failing at that year after year after year. And when I learned about this study, I thought, huh, what could I be latching onto that I actually like about uh, having a big ego? And, it, you know, I don't really uh, think positively about having a big ego, but at the time, my professor, my, my profession was as a professor and I was spending my time in front of the room, I felt like I was a good professor. In particular, I felt like I was a good lecturer, a good, a good teacher and a good lecturer. And I felt like having a big personality, having largesse, having magnanimity, having um, elocution, having um, a big captivating personality was part of what made me a good professor. And I associated getting humble with getting smaller and being more self-effacing and not shining as bright or as big. And I think a part of me worried that that would make me a less interesting professor. And so when I realized that, I realized that the solution, a potential solution to overcoming the part of you that resists change because you're afraid that you'll uh, somehow end up worse off if you, um, if you change in that particular way. If, if, if you're a perfectionist, you'll, you'll end up not striving for excellence, not being as driven or ambitious or producing as good work, right? Or if you're gullible, you're afraid that, you know, you'll start being really suspicious and, um, uh, not trusting people, right? Or in my case, you're, you're, if you're worried about, you know, shrinking down and, and being small and hiding your light under a bushel, right? And then not being an interesting professor. 
one of the things you can do is instead of thinking of the change in broad brush strokes like smashing with a sledgehammer, think about it as surgery. Think about taking a scalpel and making fine tune changes. And the way you do that is you think about specific environmental contexts. Like what are the specific ways that you want to change? The specific um, circumstances in which you'd like to be different in specific ways. So for myself, for example, I realized I don't want to change anything about the way I show up in front of the classroom. What I want to do is I want to change how I show up in um, social situations with groups of people or, or even just one-on-one -on -one where, for example, if I'm talking one-on-one, -on -one, I don't want to be doing 80% of the talking. If I'm at a dinner party with six people, I don't want to be the one talking half the time, taking up more than my fair share of the airspace. And when I'm specific about that context, suddenly I'm willing to change. Suddenly I'm clear about when and how I want to change. So if you're worried about being a perfectionist, you might not want at all to change how driven and ambitious you are. You might, for example, want to change, let's say maybe you have a tendency to need to clean a room um, on a certain schedule and even right after you've cleaned it, right? You need to clean it again. Like maybe you feel like you have to clean the bathroom every day and maybe that feels excessive and you want to change that specific thing, but you still want to hold yourself to really high standards in, ter in terms of turning in work projects and double checking your work and things like that. So you could just be a little bit more specific about the contexts and maybe do some journaling and that might help. Now, that was 1989 that that study came out. Fast forward, right around that time actually, um, Internal Family Systems was being developed by Dr. Richard Schwartz. And now we have an even deeper understanding that there are parts of us that feel different ways about different things. And so as we look to maybe change our eating in the new year, we can ask what parts of me might be resisting my change to really get bright and take off my excess weight and have my full bright transformation in 2023. And it could be a rebel part that resists what it sees as um, an overly rigid structure. And you might get curious about that rebel part and where it comes from. Maybe it uh, developed to protect you against a, an overbearing parent or something like that when you were a kid. Um, it might be an indulger part, a food indulger part that feels like food is your source of comfort or entertainment um, or um, that, you know, you won't know how to, how to socialize when you go out and about that you need that food to be a buffer there. It might be a caretaking part that feels like you won't know how to feed your family or, uh, or go over to someone's house and have a good time if you're not um, eating whatever, whenever. So you might get curious about the specific parts of you that might be resisting uh, the bright transformation. And then one of the solutions to noticing that you have a part of you or parts of you that are resisting the bright transformation is to just get curious. Get curious about that part's perspective and in particular, how it's trying to help. How it's trying to help. Because all of our parts are trying to help us and they all 
uh, we come by them honestly. These protective parts are trying to protect us in very real ways for very real reasons. And when you get quiet, either through journaling or meditation, and you ask that part of you how it's trying to help, often you and that part can come up with alternate solutions that the part feels pretty good about, especially if it knows that you're gonna show up in your highest self and provide the support that's needed to get through whatever that circumstance is. So these are some strategies to getting our whole self on board with change. And I think that's really important because of course the new year is coming up. And I don't know if you're looking to change in the new year, um, but it's a time. It's a time when it's often, uh, yeah, it's just natural, I think, to be called to do something different in the new year. And that's the weekly vlog. I'll see you in 2023. Thanks for listening to Brightline Living. Please post a review and subscribe to our channel. Interested in learning more about Brightline Eating? Visit ble.life slash podcast to find out more. ble.life slash podcast. Have a bright day.